Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the x Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best place to buy tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and save $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of October 8th, 2018. On this week's episode, it's about odds and ends. Our guest this week is James Fegan, the Chicago White Sox beat reporter from The Athletic. He reports on the White Sox minicamp down in Glendale as he got to see Dane Dunning and Zach Birdie throw, and also gives his thoughts on how the White Sox offseason could go. Later in the show, Jim Margulis will join me as we discuss the Arizona Fall League start, trouble in Minneapolis, and the Major League Baseball postseason. At the end of the show, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Even though the regular season has been over for a week now, and we are into the teeth of the divisional series in the postseason, the Chicago White Sox still have some activity going on. Down in Glendale at their spring training facility, they have held a mini camp, and the significance of this camp is that both pitchers, Dane Dunning and Zach Birdie, are throwing, which is a great sign. Join us to share what he's learned from the mini camp and how Dunning and Birdie have looked so far, and what does the offseason hold for the Chicago White Sox is a beat reporter for The Athletic and first-time guest on the Sox Machine podcast, it's James Fegan. And hello, James. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I have to start by thanking you on the terrific work you did this season. From our perspective, it was tough to cover a 62-100 and 100 team, but you did such a great job, James, sharing the backstories of these players and providing new insight on the team we watch every day. With that being said, how would you sum up the Chicago White Sox 2018 season? Uh, difficult, um, grueling, uh, <laughs> educating. In the sense that I, I think we probably could put a, a you know something that would, Rick Hahn would say last year at the end of last year was like you could you could say there's a solution for every position uh, uh, already in the organization and you know for example at the end of last year you'd probably put Jake Perger at third base even with the you know concerns about whether he'd stick there. And, you know, we could put that out and everyone would say, yeah, that's not how it's really going to happen. We know that. But, you know, at the same time, I don't think we really knew that as well as we know it now at the end of the season. With It's very clear all the things that very much might not work out or that we are more towards the situation of more likely than not is not going to work out. And I think it's 
it's very obvious to people at this point that, you know, they need to spend in free agency for this team to really have success to the window that they want. Or, um, the fact that the, you know, we've probably thought of the number three pick next year uh, as a bonus or, or, or something that we didn't even need to enter into the long-term plans to build out a contender. And now I'm probably a lot more curious about who it is and what hole that is still existing in the organization that they can probably fix rather than they're just some bonus, you know, star that they're going to throw on top of the pile. I, I think it was definitely a veil pulled from the eyes type of year. You did talk to Nick Hostetler about having that third pick, and I thought his reaction was a bit interesting that he's hoping this is the last time that he's drafting so high. Were you surprised that he had that type of reaction? Because in past years, it seemed like he was excited to be drafting so high. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I thought it was, it was noteworthy. I, it wasn't uh, like his mood had totally changed or he had stopped being you know super positive Nick Hostetler. I think it, it was just saying, it was kind of acknowledging that you know, ideally, this is the end of this cycle of, you know, stacking up extraordinarily high picks. Um, I, I don't think he seemed particularly disappointed or, or or glum about the state of the system. I mean, at this point, even with the kind of difficulties his guys has been through, you know, he's had he's basically has two first round picks who are in Glendale rehabbing major injuries at this point in time. He, he still seemed pretty positive about their their upward trend. But uh, I, I think it there's some. Beneath the positivism, even with, you know, Ricky, there's some realism with, uh, you know, Nick and the White Sox front office on, as a whole that, you know, things need to start turning around soon. They're due to, and we can't, you know, perpetually be in the mode of, oh, well, you know, everything's going in a positive direction, uh, you know, and you need to be patient. You know, it's, it's definitely 2019 needs to be seeing the rebuild turn around. Well, a couple of those guys that could help possibly turn things around for the White Sox are Dane Dunning and Zach Birdie. And with the team pressing forward to try to improve, I do like the idea of them having a mini camp after the season to give injured guys like Dunning and Birdie extra opportunities to throw. The Arizona Fall League is going to be starting soon, but I don't think either Dunning or Birdie are planning on throwing uh, during the Arizona Fall League. I could be wrong. Things could change. But starting with Dunning, James, how did he look? And more importantly, how does he feel? Uh, so, so there's like four things going on in Glendale all at the same time. Uh, the Arizona Fall League is starting on the 7th, I believe. And, uh, you know, the, the basically everyone who's going to be on it was already reporting. Uh, at this point, Birdie is playing the pitch, uh, in the Arizona Fall League. Oh, and that's if anything, good. he's kind of supposed to be ramping up his usage. And he kind of got some instructional league innings to kind of, cause, he never really left there because he was in the AZL all uh, the season. So um, that's the kind of the affiliate he was pushing at, it, you know, complex leagues. It's not really an affiliate. but um, So he was just kind of throwing an instructional league to keep himself going, and he was gonna, he's on the AFL roster. Um, Dunning is kind of there on his own assignment of just he's going to be there, like, longer than the instructional league guys, and he's just going to continue rehabbing. He's been there longer. There are other like guys rehabbing who are kind of in the same place where they're just there and they're on their own programs. Like um, uh, AJ Puckett would be another guy who would fit in that mm-hmm. box. And then there's the instructional league roster. Uh, and then there's the guys who are independently invited for the mini camp who are sitting on in sessions about their offseason program and getting like individual notes about what they're expected to work on the offseason. And, um, watching presentations by nutritionists. Dunning is, and other guys are sitting in on that when they have the opportunity to, because they're kind of just stuck in Arizona rehabbing. Uh, while I'm thinking of names, Mike Rodolfo is another guy who's down there in Arizona, just kind of doing his rehab and also, you know, milling about and hanging out with the guys and doing all their team building stuff. So a ton's going on. Um, Dunning is going to throw some instructional league innings down the road. At this point, he is, uh, he's just, thrown two uh, side sessions by the time I had flown out of there on Thursday. He said the first one was kind of understandably a mess as far as command. He just threw fastballs, and it was kind of all over the place. The last one, he threw fastballs and changed up, and he came out of it a lot happier um, about how it went. I didn't really get to see him. I don't think anyone was, like, putting a gun on him or anything, but mm-hmm. uh, he, he seems very optimistic. He says he's been pain-free this entire time. He was very much the, the realistic uh, mode of, you know, I've had elbow troubles at this point, you know, 
I, he can look around and see the world around him and see that guys, you know, tear their Tommy John uh, pretty high in this game. So he, he knows that that's a possibility at some point, but he, he feels like he's they've done enough that it's a good option forward to avoid surgery because he, he doesn't feel any discomfort and feels fine when he throws. Um, Birdie pitched. Um, he's been, you know, pitching regularly. He, he seems like he's still waiting for it to come back. Consistently, he kind of says that there's been flashes that look like where he needs to be. Um, when I saw him pitch his instructional league inning, he was uh, Scott said he was sitting around 94. Um, that's not the first time I've heard him down in that band. Uh, I think Eric Longenhagen of Fangraph said he was 93, 95 when he first came back and was throwing some innings that he saw. That's kind of weird. Uh, from I believe what 14 months out of Tommy John surgery, something there about May 15. Uh, that's not really an inj- uh, injury where you typically see the velocity take a while to tick up. Um, right. I'm not an absolute expert about it, but it, it's, you know, we talked to Chase Fry and, uh, you know, Aaron Bummer about it, and they'll, they'll talk about some of their stuff coming out harder or coming out firmer, and it doesn't seem like this is going exactly that way. So um, I, I would probably write off whatever – observations they really had about his command at this point, you know, especially in an instructional league inning, but it, it does seem discouraging or worrisome or something to watch that, you know, somebody who had an elite fastball has more of a typical to above average fastball uh, at this point in his recovery. Obviously that could be different around spring training, but mm-hmm. I think it'd be something to have your mind on when you're looking for birdie in, in February. That was one of our questions that we got from one of our fans from Patreon, uh, from Trooper Galactus, because Trooper was asking, does Birdie seem likely to join Aloy Jimenez on the Major League roster once they grab an extra year of service time? Or do you think he'll spend the majority of the season in Charlotte? But as you mentioned with the velocity loss, and again, we'll see more as far as spring training, maybe he can regain that. But let's say he doesn't, uh, does that set back as far as the timetable from White Sox fans seeing Birdie with the White Sox? Uh, yeah, I think it could have an effect on it if just because it maybe raises the threshold of how much he needs to refine his command and, uh, you know, show more consistency with his changeup. You know, the thing he was tagged with coming out of college is he's a three-plus pitches guy coming out of the bullpen uh, with his slider and changeup. I think the changeup kind of fell to the background a little bit when he was trying to rush through the system in his draft year. And if he's kind of going to be a lower velocity guy, those two pitches definitely have to be something he can be very consistent with. So it kind of raises the threshold from you're just overwhelming guys in AAA and you're fully, uh, you know, back to your uh, full strength. And you can immediately help this bullpen to maybe it, it takes a while to kind of learn how to pitch with what he's got. So, yeah, I think that could push him back in Charlotte for longer. Then going back to Dunning, where do you think Dunning fits within the White Sox future plans, James? Because he was so good in his 15 starts this year with Winston-Salem and Birmingham. But I feel like Dylan Cease has passed him up in the depth chart. Oh, for sure. I mean, as far as top of the rotation or potential, I would say Cease was always ahead of him. And he always it was always probably the vision of the White Sox, ideally, to that Cease would be ahead of him. I think what Dunning always offered was safety, that he was very um, – much not in question for many scouts that he would be someone who could stick in a starting rotation because he, someone who commands all his pitches and throws strikes and he would, you know, you didn't have as much doubt that he would be a three or four as you would that Dylan seems to be a, you know, a, a high end number two or, you know, a closer. There's a lot more uncertainty. Obviously it's hard to be the safe prospect when you have elbow troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still don't think that there's any real doubt about his talent level or um, you know his ability to execute and command. So I still think he's that nice mid rotation guy that you know provides a lot of stability to a rotation that you know even with the progress of Ronaldo Lopez uh, and Carlos Rodon being back still doesn't have it. I think it's still probably an open question who are the five guys you know in 2020 and 2021 uh, that are really reliable. So I still think he's um, can fit right in the middle of that very easily. It definitely probably gives you more certainty than you could pin on Lucas Giolito at this uh, point in time. It's just a question of how healthy and consistent he'll be a, a 208 guy to, to deliver that and whether he'll be kind of in the mix and in and out and, and struggling with his own things as, as much as uh, everyone else. You wrote about Dylan Cease 
this past week on The Athletic, a terrific piece called Dylan Cease's Breakout is Only Just the Beginning. A quote from uh, player development director Chris Getz, I would say there's only one, there's one player who made the most strides, the greatest strides, and it would be Dylan Cease. It sounds like the White Sox are very high on Dylan Cease. Speaking to prospect evaluators and writers, Dylan Cease is going to be one of those guys that's really going to rise up on preseason top 100 lists going into the 2019 season. I think a question that a lot of people have, James, regarding Cease is how quickly will we see him in 2019? What are your thoughts as far as his timetable joining the White Sox after the terrific season he had in 2018? Um, I would think it's similar to Kopech where we're kind of going through the second half of the year and wondering how late before the end of the year he'll make it up. I mean, in some respects, he's a little bit behind where Kopech was last year since he didn't have a full season at Double uh, A. Um, I definitely think that they challenge him in Charlotte to kind of, uh, you know, he was as much as he was using his changeup and slider more, he was still kind of a guy in double A who was just overwhelming hitters on stuff. Um, you know, the command is definitely ticked up, but, um, I think they definitely probably want to see him against advanced hitters and, uh, in, um, triple A who can kind of force him to, you know, show a bit more feel and show a bit more ability to pitch backwards and change up his sequencing and, and do different things. And, stuff that he hasn't uh, necessarily had to do to overwhelm hitters in this past year. So I, I don't think he's going to be any quicker than that. Definitely the way that they talk about him positively, the way that Han explicitly talked about him being someone who's going to uh, come up in 2019 if he you know has the you know, performance to justify it. I don't think we're going to go through the same will he or won't he uh, that we probably were with Kopech by the end of this, this past season. It's more just a question of, as long as there's not a you know significant step back, he seems like somebody who is you know rounding out the rotation in September. Our next fan question from Patreon comes from supporter Azenrak, and Azenrak is asking more about your behind the scenes when you are in Glendale. How does your routine compare to working in Chicago during the off season? How much are you working to stash story ideas away for later in the off season versus filing a daily report? Man, I could talk about this forever. But um, <laughs> in Chicago, ideally, I mean, for me, ideally, I'm always stashing. Um, it's kind of weird for me to read reports of other teams and talking about, like, the matters of the day in very, like, grave and serious tones because, for me, it's rare I'm doing that. I'm not going to, like, there's no consequence to write about the bullpen day on the last game of the season, you know, blowing up. No one wants to read about that. It probably doesn't mean much. It's, you know, just kind of flush it. it it's very much always in the mode of trying to build long-term uh, meaningful angles out of something that's going on and putting together interviews for longer projects. It's, it's very, it's something that has to be really pressing to kind of justify a, a daily report or something like that. Like, even when we went to talk to Avisail at the um, end of the season, I kind of was going up to him with the idea of, well, let's check in with how he is, how he views the season. And then, you know, when we talk to Hunt at the end of the year, we'll throw together a piece about what's Avisail's outlook for 2019 and, you know, how do you kind of take this very up-and-down season that's full of injuries and make an assessment, if you're Rick Hunt, about whether this guy belongs on the team long-term because he didn't really get a lot of useful data. Mm -hmm. It winds up being a daily report because Avi just spills the whole story and says, like, hey, I'm getting knee surgery on October 2nd. And, you know, <laughs> then that's something that you can't really wait on. So uh, ideally you're always stashing, but um, Glendale, the situation is, you know, you're there for three days. You have all these guys in camp, and, you know, I – it's a lot more, you know, whenever you go to a major league clubhouse on the day, you probably want to have three or four ideas of things you can work on or interview guys about because you have to um, rely on anyone going to be at their locker. In Glendale, you have even less time and even larger uh, group of uh, ideas, so I kind of have to make out a list. I, you know, write out every player and coach that I would want to talk to. I submit that list to media relations, give them a heads up. I then go through that list and, you know, cobble together questions I have for each one. It might be a lot of, you know, Googling to, you know, get background on guys that maybe I haven't even, like, spent any time talking to or, or paying attention to, like Jonathan Stever. And it may just be, you know, organizing thoughts for anybody else. And then, because we didn't realize this minicamp was going on in Glendale, it's, a lot of that plan got thrown to the side because 
oh, hey, Dylan Cease is walking around. Oh, hey, um, Zach Collins, Jimmy Lambert, who, you know, why not get a checkup on him since, uh, you know, he went out with an injury at the end of the season and then uh, never pitched again. There, there's all these kind of, uh, you know, there was a lot more surprises this year as far as, oh, hey, there's a star prospect who is probably more interesting than my fascination with some fifth rounder at the end of the draft this year. Um, so it kind of changed our plans a bit, but it, it's a lot more methodical and trying to squeeze as much as possible into three days with the instructional league to kind of give myself something to write about over the course of a month. Um, so yeah, it, it's a different process, but the way the White Sox are or have been this last two years, it's kind of an always a mode of looking at long-term stuff and, and stashing and, and, and stretching myself over uh, a couple of weeks because, um, I don't travel for every single game, uh, at this point, especially down the stretch with, uh, you know, Kopech out and Jimenez not getting called up. There, there wasn't as much demand uh, for me to go out and follow the daily travails of this team. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always kind of trying to stash and build towards long-term pieces. Well, hopefully this off season gives you some more ideas to write about because last off season was pretty quiet for the White Sox and understandably, I mean, it is a rebuild. Uh, we weren't expecting the White Sox to be active in free agency, but it does sound like, especially for the pitching staff, that Han has addressed at the end of the year, James, that this is going to be an area that the White Sox do need to address this offseason. And, of course, you do have some big-ticket free agent targets like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper that White Sox fans have been dreaming about signing uh, for a couple years now. Starting with the pitching staff, as far as an offseason need, uh, and be, only because Rick Hahn has addressed this uh, to the media, how do you think the White Sox are going to attack as far as, well, one, they got two starting spots to fill in if they don't pick up James Shields' option. And there is also an opportunity to also look at building more depth in the bullpen. Um, I would basically, I mean, I'd, I'd, if they bring back Shields, I don't think it'd be picking up his option. I think it'd be like agreeing to some lower cost deal uh, on the side. I would probably break down the two rotation slots into two types. One, where they possibly be more aggressive and get a multi-year solution, because uh, Han alluded to that is you know they have to be you know even if it's not a finishing piece, they can be flexible for somebody who's going to you know help be helpful in their window and. and and really, it's hard to get a quality, reliable starting pitcher of any kind and not offer them, you know, at least three years because, you know, anybody else, anybody lower is probably a reclamation project or, or something where you're kind of betting on their value going up from what they're currently at. Because if you're a starting pitcher of any kind of decent level that you can demand three or four years, and at that point, they're kind of bleeding into what the White Sox competitive window would be. So I think with their budget room and their need – conceivably as they acknowledge they can never have enough pitching they've been beset by injury and there's developmental you know blocks with some guys you know definitely the any kind of projection of the end of 2019 being rotation being Kopech, Hanson and Cease has probably gotten a little bit more complicated uh since then so I think they get one multi-year starter and I think they'd be good getting one something in the vein of Miguel Gonzalez last year or just a kind of one-year veteran stopgap eating innings in anticipation that, you know, ceases up at the end of the year or that, you know, you're mixing in opportunities for guys who are performing well in AAA, maybe you aren't in the plans, depending on who from Stevens, Adams, uh, Guerrero survives the Rule 5 draft or is actually protected. I think you, you want to go into starting five and then kind of have some allowance that you don't need the, you don't need to sign the extra six or seven uh, you know, starter to uh, protect against attrition, but more that you would draw that from the minors. So that would be what I think as far as starting. As far as bullpens, you know, you can never really have enough uh, options there. I, I assume there'll be the other, uh, another wave of uh, minor league free agents to kind of compete for spots. But the fact that pretty much everyone from the young bullpen, as far as, you know, Frere, uh, Hamilton, Burr, uh, bummer, you name it, still has options. You're not really bound to breaking camp with them, even if you do like them as long-term bullpen options. So it seems like they have room for adding at least two guys. With bullpen, it seems like you know the 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 drop-off in performance is so can be so quick with them. I don't know if you pursue like the marquee mm-hmm. closer this year on a multi-year deal with the assumption that. Um, 
he's still effective in, in 2020 and 2021 where you really need him. You know, I think it could be appealing maybe for, for Cody Allen, um, something like that. I know even though he, I don't think he ended this year particularly healthy, Kelvin Herrera's 29, so I could get the argument for adding that guy like three, four years and assuming like, hey, he'll be a meaningful and helpful part of this bullpen uh, down the road. They certainly have the budget room to take that kind of a risk. It's harder for me to get a read on exactly whether they'll do that. Um, obviously, the White Sox, like every team, play things close to the vest, possibly a bit more than uh, the rest of baseball. But uh, I, I would definitely <laughs> yeah. see a lot of um, potential for a kind of one-year make good or uh, you know buy low deals that they kind of fill their bullpen out because it's definitely going to be another season where they can afford to do that. I don't think people are going to burn them for spending two or three million dollars to try to see if they can turn somebody into a flippable asset if it doesn't work I, I think they're still kind of in that territory where that makes sense for them to do i do think that there will be an outcry even though i think that the chances are very very slim if the white Sox don't sign like a manny machado as you know there'll be fans they'll be upset because they'll feel like with this low payroll and supposedly lots of cash laying around that the White Sox could sign Manny Machado this offseason. Do you, we, we heard so much about a possible trade last offseason that the White Sox were interested when Baltimore was dangling Manny Machado during the winter meetings. Do you think that this is the realm of possibility that Rick Hahn would target somebody like Manny Machado and make a serious run going after him, which would be, I have to imagine, an 8- to 10-year deal? Uh, yeah, I mean... I think they'll definitely be in. I think, you know, you don't really have guys hitting free agency at that age where they fit uh, in the window so cleanly uh, as Machado would. I think that, you know, they definitely have the budget room and they've put, they've stated time and again that they are willing to spend uh, to support this rebuild. And, you know, it, it makes sense to add cash in this offseason as much as any. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely, as much as he committed to Tim Anderson as the shortstop of the future and um, and all that, I think Machado is obviously a level of talent where you will make adaptions on your current plans uh, to accommodate him if needed be. I don't know exactly what that would look like with, with Tim, but or uh, it seems like Machado definitely prefers to play shortstop, and I don't know how that would necessarily work out and if they had to promise it to him. It's still just hard to say it's a likely thing to happen, to say that they're I – de- I definitely think they have contingency plans in place uh, for, you know, if they don't land him or if it's just not tenable at all. Um, you know, they definitely left a window open to kind of see in their comments how they have a view for a – Madrigal, Anderson, Mancada infield down the stretch uh, when they're contending. So I definitely don't think that the the entire you know plan for the long term rebuild is centered around Machado. And given the fact that there will be, it's not like there won't be other teams that are capable of matching or beating any White Sox offer won't be in the field. And the fact we haven't seen the White Sox beat the field with their offer for a major league free agent as much as we've maybe seen them beat the field with their offer for. Uh, Abreu and Luis Robert, which is at a lower tier of uh, you know contract level. Mm-hmm. New York and, and LA should be in with them. It's all the heavy hitters. If he has any preference to playing in a major market, a marquee franchise, I feel like that probably pushes the White Sox out of play. So there's just there's so much at work that I feel like is against them. That even if they are genuinely interested in pursuing him full bore, which is takes a couple of ifs and assumptions to, to put in place it's hard for me to see it working out where he, he comes here. It, it just seems way more uh, unlikely than uh, than otherwise. So it sounds like if the White Sox do make a big splash this free agency, most likely it's going to be on the starting pitching front. Yeah, I mean, that's what they were pretty unambiguous about. Uh, that's what they definitely obviously need and have no real other options or contingency plans for 2019. And, and certainly even long long term, I would say that – as something that said, you're never going to run out of pitching. You're never going to you're never going to run out of need for pitching. As I'd say, you're you're never going to basically mm-hmm. block starters and really have a problem with it. The first thing that really runs into that problem where they just have too many major league ready guys sitting in AAA will probably be the first. Um, you know, even in the golden days of the Mets, when before that even started to 
you know, blowing up with everyone getting injured that they never really ran into that problem with Zach Wheeler or anything like that. It, it, it just seems so rare. And, you know, if it happens, it's probably a good thing. So don't worry about it. So I, I think starting pitching is where they can just kind of, uh, add without really any concern. And so that seems much more likely. And it's kind of a lower tier of guys. Same time, because it's the lower tier of guys, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, signing five years for Corbin when his below is down. And I'm worried about signing long term for Keichel when, uh, you know, he's at the lowest strikeout of his career. It's a lot of weird little profiles to really place a lot of faith in, but it does seem like a more unambiguous area of need. Do you think that Han could surprise us and be willing to trade some of these top prospects for proven talent like the Milwaukee Brewers did this past offseason for Christian Yelich? Yeah, I mean, he definitely could do that. He's definitely allowed for the possibility of that. And I think that definitely be a smart play, especially with a team like this one. Uh, so much of their talent is concentrated in the lower to middle minors at this point. There's not, this Charlotte Knights are not figuring to be the most stacked team of all time. <laughs> so I, I think this would definitely be a opportunistic point if they want to, to for them to self-distinguish between guys who are killing it in Winston-Salem or Kannapolis or lower and say, we think this guy is going to be a, a, a dude going forward. We want to definitely like hold on to him and see how it goes and to kind of take who they are less certain of or have more problems about how they project going forward and get what value they can out of them. Uh, it's possible at this point because it's probably never going to have their, their prospect sheen higher. I mean, at this point you could probably say that maybe if they had concerns about whether, um, if they weren't full believers in Alec Hansen, the end of the last season would have been a great time to kind of cut bait because they had basically taken a guy who was a, a risk, a recovery project in the second round and built him up into a top hundred, maybe even top 50 prospect by some, uh, by some sources, it would have been a good time to kind of see what he was worth on the market. Hmm. Obviously I think they probably have a lot more belief in the idea that they can turn Alec Hansen around. Everyone I spoke to was, uh, was optimistic about it while still acknowledging this is kind of a lost season. I think there are other guys in the system that you could say, uh, you know, even being a Luis Gonzalez fan, personally, I don't mm-hmm. think he's probably a monster 880 OPS guy at higher levels. So if there's another organization that thinks he's like a middle-of-the-order bat as opposed to what he'll probably slide into as, uh, you know, a good on base, uh, decent pop guy. You can switch between all three outfield positions going forward. Maybe you kind of explore what the market is on that. and You can kind of go down the line with other guys. Or if people uh, are really optimistic on Mike or Adolfo, whereas you're more uncertain about him sticking in the outfield, maybe it's time to explore the value on that. And I'm sure they're doing that, but that those would be the type of cases of guys who are, are promising the low minors, but probably haven't hit the advanced level of competition where you can clearly project on the majors yet. It might those would be the guys I would think you have opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, explore their value on the market. Yeah, this offseason is going to be interesting because it can go in a variety of ways on, on how the White Sox want to approach it. And I, I think when you report to spring training Glendale, we're going to have a much firmer idea on how the White Sox feel about the rebuild. Because I just feel at this moment, James, there's still some uncertainty as far as where we are in the state of the rebuild, how close the White Sox actually are to competing. But a lot of those questions are going to be answered based on the work that Rick Hahn does this offseason and the new players that join the White Sox. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think you want to see an upswing, uh, even with the internal talent they have forward. I think even just adding uh, Aloy will probably make that lineup a lot more competitive on a regular basis. And I think either, we hope so. I think, <laughs> think either way, you kind of want to see things creep up over 70 wins next year. Um, it's, it's just uh, the question of whether the talent would be in place to make the much more difficult leap from 70 to mid to high 80s uh, a year or two after that. And I think for that, you know, yeah, as you said, it, it requires a, a significant free agency or, or, or adding major league talent through through trade kind of a upgrade to really see that level coming forward that quickly you could follow james on twitter he's at jr fegan and read his always excellent work on the athletic at theathletic.com i highly recommend subscribing to the athletic i know many of our listeners already do and some are still on the fence do it great stuff from awesome sports writers across all levels of sports including james as i am a subscriber highly recommend it and again james 
Thank you for your awesome work during the 2018 season and look forward to the stories you will tell this offseason and for the 2019 White Sox. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Thank you. A quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And you can make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports, concerts, to comedy, and theater. And I use SeatGeek all season long for Chicago White Sox tickets as I found it to be the easiest way to shop for tickets and find great deals. And you can find great deals right now for the other sports as well. Chicago Bears tickets are red hot on SeatGeek at the moment because everybody's excited about them. The Chicago Blackhawks season has started and it's been a crazy ride so far. And you can find some great deals on Hawks tickets at the moment. And the best part is, is that Sox Machine listeners get to save $20 off your first purchase. All you have to do is just go to SeatGeek.com or download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. Joining me now on the Sox Machine podcast is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The Arizona Fall League starts playing games this Tuesday, October 9th, as the White Sox prospects are playing for the Glendale Desert Dogs. So we'll get to see some action from some of the top White Sox prospects like Luis Roberts and Luis Basabe has been added to the roster. What are you hoping to see from this winter season? Well, you know, there are, there are a few, you know, aside from the normal caveats that Arizona Fall League is a small sample and that it's a weird kind of competition in a friendly hitter hitting environment where the top hitting prospects are facing off against pitching prospects who have either been hurt or are kind of secondary prospects, not, you know, top flight ones because the ones that are, you know, the uh, organization's top pitching prospects are usually guarded and, you know, shut down from unnecessary workloads unless, you know, they were hurt during the year. So, you know, that being the case, um, when it comes to performances, I'm looking at guys like Luis Robert and Zach Birdie as guys who are more there for, um, you know, for progress reports. Because with Robert, with the thumb injury and, and you know, his uh, on-again, off-again relationship with the DL over his first year and a half with the uh, White Sox and professional baseball, just be nice to see him get more regular reps maybe flash some of that power he wasn't able to really uh, come up with in Winston-Salem so far, you know, have a couple of nice moments to take with him into the offseason. And with Birdie, you know, just kind of getting into a regular schedule for a reliever, not being, you know, on a kind of rehab schedule where he's, you know, kind of pitching in, in custom circumstances where he can, uh, you know, he's being managed in this case, you know, it's a it being in a team and a competitive environment and pitching, maybe inheriting runners, maybe, um, you know, pitching back-to-back days uh, once in a while. That'd be nice to see from him. And hopefully the velocity comes up as well. You mentioned Zach Birdie. So did James Fegan in the previous segment. And he mentioned that during the instructional league action, Birdie's velocity is not back to normal. And by normal, we mean High 90s to low 100s with his fastball velocity. Instead, it's topping out at 95 miles per hour. Is that a concern for you, Jim? I would say not yet, but I wouldn't wave it away either. Um, just because it you know, has been a very conservative rehab schedule for Birdie, um, you know, given when he had it. You know, some pitchers have been able to return, you know, it would have been able to return in August or, or been pitching in games in August and September. And the White Sox were very conservative and for good reason, you know, there's no, you know, unlike say pitchers who are trying to get back to the majors to help a team, you know, there's no real reason for Birdie to come back for a rebuilding club. You know, um, he's not on the 40 man roster. He's, you know, there are no really, no real time pressures for him to come back. But, you know, uh, I I think at this point, uh, given how conservative they've have been and that his uh, velocity hasn't come back, um, you know, it does, I think, 
pop on the radar a little bit as something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, that's one thing I'd like to see, you know, mentioning how he, you know, getting back into a regular schedule, you know, that's kind of one thing I'm hoping for is that, you know, pitching in competitive games and being, uh, cut loose a little bit more, maybe will help him respond and, and, you know, gear up and, you know, have to find that extra, um, you know, extra mile per hour or four, you know, to kind of get back into, uh, you know, how he attacked hitters before the surgery. And if you're interested in tracking along, as far as the White Sox prospects progress during the Arizona Fall League, again, come to SoxMachine.com on the regular as we'll be posting updates throughout the winter season. And there will be some opportunities throughout the fall uh, to watch some Arizona Fall League action on MLB Network as this season is very star-studded. Not only will the White Sox have Luis Robert, in which a lot of analysts and prospect writers are excited to see Robert in action, but also the big ticket is going to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will also be participating in the Arizona Fall League. So it should be a very fun season. And again, we'll be posting the updates on SoxMachine.com. And one, yeah, one guy, well, actually, uh, to add one more name, uh, Zach Thompson is kind of interesting to me. You mentioned, you know, the the quality of hitters and the kind of the, the all-star lineups that they have and Thompson, you know, who's been, you know, he was a starter draft in the fifth round, big guy, six, seven, uh, recently converted the bullpen. This is his first year as a full-time reliever. And he had an ERA of 1.55 between Winston-Salem and Birmingham. And, you know, some of it was lucky, whether it was hit suppression, um, you know, his peripherals are okay. They don't jump off the page. Uh, also had some unearned runs helping that ERA, but, um, you know, he's a big guy, get some leverage, get some sink, um, and, and is missing some bats too. And, you know, he's somebody who, you know, might be able to distinguish himself a little bit with a strong performance in a hitter friendly environment with, uh, the quality of these lineups. Well, that's the Arizona fall league moving over to some major league baseball news as there is trouble in Minneapolis, the Minnesota twins earlier this past week fired Paul Molitor, one manager of the year in the 2017 season, helping the Twins get back into the postseason. And while they wait to hire a new manager, the front office has a bigger headache to deal with. That's because Miguel Sano was arrested on Sunday in the Dominican Republic for a hit and run. He evidently ran over a police officer at a police check-in. The officer's leg is broken, and the latest is that Sano has been detained. So, Miguel Sano is in serious trouble, Jim, and he had poor play during the year in which he was demoted down in the minor leagues. I don't know how much trouble he's going to be in the Dominican Republic, but the Twins are one of the chief rivals to the White Sox, Jim, and it wasn't that long ago that we were worried about Miguel Sano because we've just felt that he could be a monster, especially in this division. Is his time with the ball club in jeopardy now? It seems like it could be. Um, you know, he had the surgery. I think that kind of threw him off course. Uh, it doesn't explain all the um, you know trouble he's been in, but um, you know he he was on a star trajectory, and then he had the Tommy John surgery, knocked him off course a little bit, came back okay. But yeah, just seems like it's just uh, you know all sorts of discipline issues, both you know I guess. Um, um, self-discipline and also discipline with others, whether it's the, uh, you know, the photographer incident, which is just kind of murky, you know, and they just couldn't find definitive, um, you know, I, I guess they couldn't, uh, you know, punish him because they couldn't find definitive proof. Um, and then, you know, this case where they, they seem to have more definitive proof and I wouldn't blame them, I guess, you know, uh, given, you know, the amount of trouble he's been in and, uh, amount of, uh, yeah, how high maintenance he is, even when he's healthy and functional and not getting in trouble. Um, and given that he's been just kind of a central figure in the Twins uh, rebuild, just underachieving at this point, I wouldn't blame him if they cut bait. And if he happened to come back strong, you know, you might say like, oh, you know, they, they shouldn't have, uh, um, you know, dumped him. You know, the team can use all the talent it gets. But I think at some point there are some cases where it's just, you know, better to not have those questions kind of like addition uh by subtraction and you know i think it's kind of speculative to say that would be the case they dump Sano, but i just don't quite see how he helps especially given that he didn't help at all in the field well you have the Sano situation back in chicago 
Major League Baseball announced that Addison Russell has been suspended for 40 games retroactive to September 21st, meaning that he's going to miss anywhere from the first 29 to 30 games of the 2019 Major League Baseball schedule. And this is a key situation for the Cubs as well, in which they have a player that has gotten himself into trouble for off-the-field issues. And nobody's really sure as far as where this once-budding star fits with the ball club. Or I guess, instead of saying fits, sits with the current situation with the ball club. It would just be fascinating to me, Jim, that... Two years ago, we were very high on Miguel Sano and Addison Russell as possibly being future stars in Major League Baseball. And then two years later, neither are with their ball clubs because of situations off the field that have moved the Minnesota Twins and Chicago Cubs to go elsewhere to replace them on their roster. Yeah, I was thinking about Russell and thinking about the Oakland A's and how they were well, you know, criticized, or at least, you know, when they traded for Jeff Samarja, they traded Russell to the Cubs for Samarja and Jason Hamill and uh, making the playoff push. And it was definitely, you know, Russell was a top prospect at the time. And everybody thought it was kind of giving up way too much for a short-term gain, especially for a team like Oakland that can't really retain expensive players. And, you know, it seemed to bear out the way Russell started, but they really recovered well by getting Marcus Semyon from the White Sox and, um, you know, shaping them, you know, really whipping them to shape. And, and Semyon also, you know, working really hard with Ron Washington in the offs, you know, and, and over the course of the season, getting an extra work. He's really made tremendous strides to smooth out his mechanics and, and turning into a good defensive shortstop, according to the metrics, when he was awful, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and, and he's, you know, a decent bat for a shortstop. He's playing uh, sound defense. He's a solid citizen. And all of a sudden, you know, a couple of years later, and, and Russell did contribute to a World Series team, but now it's kind of like, you know, you see the, the what Russell's, uh, you know, I guess the, the trouble that's followed him around. And yeah, the, the you know, the first time he was accused of uh, um, domestic abuse, and, and I think it took a while for it to flesh out. But it seems like Oakland, you know, you know whether they... <laughs> I, I yeah I, I don't know if they knew anything with Russell or any point or had any of their own reports, but uh, they really seem to come out ahead just in, like in terms of headaches and uh, trouble and just having a I guess a more rewarding shortstop experience. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the Twins and the Cubs do with Sano and Russell during the off season. Uh, both could be free agents, and I'd be really interested to see on how other teams will approach both players because if you can keep if you can keep them out of trouble there's still a great wealth of baseball talent for each player it's just do you want to deal with the bad pr and do you want to deal with the headaches of what possibly could come with them with their off the field issues it'll be interesting to see what happens during this offseason if both the twins and the cubs decide to move away from Sano and russell Moving over to the Major League Baseball postseason. Again, last week we tried to make our best guesses on the postseason. And man, my picks in the National League, Jim, uh, did not last very long as the Chicago Cubs lost to the Rockies in extra innings, a game that just seemed like it was going to last forever. Uh, The Rockies were able to outlast the Cubs offense, and then the Rockies proceeded to only score in one inning out of the 28 (laughs) that they played against the Milwaukee Brewers. The Rockies scored two runs in the ninth inning to force game one into extra innings, and that was it. That was all the runs the Rockies would score in the three-game sweep as the Milwaukee Brewers move on to the National League Championship Series as that team has still remained red hot. They have won 11 straight games, three in the postseason, eight, their final eight games in the regular season. The Los Angeles Dodgers were down five to nothing early thanks to Ronald Acuna's Grand Slam in game three. But as we are recording this, the Dodgers eventually tied the game back at 5-5. And the last update that we saw is that Freddie Freeman gave the Braves the go-ahead lead 6-5. So as you're listening to this, you probably already know who won that game. Uh, But it does seem like, despite what the Game 3 result is, Jim, in the National League, we're going to be looking at a National League Championship Series, probably, between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Milwaukee Brewers. How do you think that series will go down if it does come to fruition? 
Well, those were the two teams I liked in the NL. I, I'd been siding with the Dodgers um, since the Cardinals crapped out on me, but I, I think the Brewers, just, you know, it's the depth for both teams. The the ability to have modular lineups, to roll out different lineups, to you know, match up well. Um, between the bullpen matching up with hitters and the lineup matching up with, with starters and whatever they can throw at them and having really good guys coming off the bench, um, it, it, it seems like both teams just are too deep to to deal with right now. I think it's going to be fascinating if they do meet up. The Rockies, I think, were the kind of the uh, the incomplete Brewers. They had a bullpen. You know, they had a pretty good one. You know, a lot of options and and even decent relievers were left off the postseason roster. But yeah, the lineup just kind of ended after the fourth spot. You know, kind of went from Aaron out of the story, and then they had Ian Desmond problems and Gerardo Parra problems and. It was just uh, they ran out of guys, and so I think Milwaukee just out-talented them, and I I don't think they can out-talent the Dodgers. I think uh, it's especially Max Muncie still delivering, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm hoping that's the matchup because yeah, the Braves just aren't quite there yet. I mean they've they had an impressive season, and it's it's great for the rebuild to see them. Um, you know, cap it off with a postseason appearance and still having growth to go. But I think at this point, the Dodgers and Brewers are the most talented teams by far. Meanwhile, in the American League, as both series will pick up on Monday, the Houston Astros are looking to sweep the Cleveland Indians in Cleveland as they have a 2 to nothing lead in the best of five series. And the Boston Red Sox might be in trouble heading to New York. It looked really promising for the Red Sox when Chris Sale made his start for the first half of game one up five to nothing. But as soon as Sale left, the Yankees took advantage against the Red Sox bullpen, made it close, but the Red Sox did win five to four in game one. In game two, David Price, his troubles against the Yankees continue the Yankees, especially Gary Sanchez, hitting two big home runs, bombed the Boston Red Sox. That series is tied 1-1 to as it heads to the Bronx. Jim, I think this Astros-Indian series is going to end in three games. This seems to be a lopsided matchup as the Astros have just been better than the Indians in almost every facet. But I think the Red Sox, the team that had the best record in all of Major League Baseball, is in real hot water as they head back to New York because it just feels like the Yankees have the Red Sox number right now. And unless they can get to game four and Chris Sale can start that game, I just really don't like the Red Sox's chances right now. And it's mostly because can you trust that bullpen? Yeah, I, I think we neither of us really like the Red Sox all that much, uh, at least relative to their 108 win total. Um, you know, the pitching staff just seemed wobbly, especially with Sale. Not sure what they're going to get for him. And he showed up, uh, I think. Um, you know, he's hit 96 on the gun again. He wasn't his peak velocity, but at least um, better than the low 90s, high 80s. He, he was throwing his last start of the regular season. But yeah, Price was uh, iffy, you know, heading down the stretch. And, and the Yankees are seemed, they, they basically seem designed to beat him uh, just with all those right-handed bats. So, yeah, I think that's kind of materializing here. I think I like the Red Sox a bit more than the Yankees, but um, just, yeah, the way those starters have, uh, um, it, it's just that lineup is really good against those left-handed starters. And then the Astros, uh, you know, they're my pick, but I think you nailed the Alex Bregman breakout party for October. Mm-hmm. He's well, you can have great. so many options, Jim. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned Max Muncy as far as a breakout. Uh, you know, we got to see the cool moment with Ronald Acuna with his Grand Slam. Uh, you know, Christian Yelich is still doing Christian Yelich things. Yeah. Uh, it, it, there's just a lot of guys as far as just having absolute breakouts. And, and, you know, we forget the biggest monster of them all. And Aaron Judge, who yeah. seems to be fully healthy right now. And Sanchez, now. Too. yeah, Gary Sanchez too. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to the league championship series if it is the Brewers and Dodgers and Yankees and Astros because I could see both series going seven games and just being really intense matchups where the divisional series, uh, I you know maybe the Red Sox and Yankees can give us that drama, but I don't think any of these series are going to last long. It's kind of what you want, though, as a baseball fan, right? You want the questionable teams to be weeded out by the better teams and have the best teams, the most deserving teams at the end of the season standing tall. And maybe you know, the Red Sox don't quite meet that argument because they are they seem to be shorthanded pitching-wise. But 
when it comes to the Astros, they look legit all year. The Yankees would have been, <laughs> would have won any other division. Uh, well, not the West, but they would have won, you know, four divisions uh, had they not been behind the Red Sox all year. Um, you know, they're legit. Uh, the Brewers emerge as the best team in the NL Central at the end of the year. The Dodgers have been there the whole time, you know, even though they kind of underperformed for most of the season. Uh, they were always kind of a, uh, a sleeping monster, and now they've hit their stride. So I, I think when it comes to, yeah, the playoffs, parody is kind of nice into getting more fan bases interesting or interested in the game. But I think when it comes to crowning a champion, you really don't want to see those flukes slip through all that often. You know, it's nice to have, I guess, a reality check and to make sure that, uh, you know, Teams just don't sleepwalk, but I think when it, when you're trying to crown a champion, you like to have the best teams involved at the very end. You make a good point, and I think for the teams that are in the postseason, we're going to get that just because of how well the Brewers, especially the end of the season, uh, the Dodgers came on strong, uh, but man, uh, the, the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees are very, very dangerous teams, and I just feel like these are two just superpower teams are going to be running to a collision course in the American League Championship Series. And let's say Boston can recover and they do win that series against the Yankees. I don't like the Red Sox's chances against the Astros. Yeah, that's that's the matchup I had in mind. Yeah, just the Red Sox just seem shorthanded compared to the Astros and, and Yankees too. I mean, when you look at the bullpens and the way the, yeah, the bullpens have gotten involved, uh, <laughs> the Yankees have a lot of good arms. Was it the first game they didn't throw a... Uh, Fastball slower than 96. It's a great way to build a team. Yeah. If you need to win one game, yeah. that's that's a great way of going at it. Uh, but yeah, I I said sign me up last year after the American League Championship Series when the Yankees surprised and took the Astros to seven games. Uh, I'd love to see that again in this postseason. But we'll see on where the Championship Series lie next week as we touch on the MLB postseason, but we'll be mostly recapping and reviewing the Chicago White Sox pitching staff in the 2018 season as everyone will get an opportunity to not only give your grades on the White Sox pitching staff on SoxMachine.com as we'll have the grading sheet up on the website very early on the week, but we are also looking for you to join the show by recording your thoughts on the White Sox pitching staff and leaving us a message so we can add it into next week's show. You guys will be able to see that opportunity open early next week. Again, go to SoxMachine.com for that. But that's it for the odds and ends. Now it's time for your questions in P.O. Sox. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at SoxMachine.com, or helping support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast, signing up at patreon.com slash machine. And of course, answering your questions is Jim Margulis. And Jim, the first question we have comes from our friends over at Section 108, specifically Beef Loaf. And Beef Loaf is asking, if you were a wizard, Jim, and you could add one tool, skill, pitch, or characteristic to any member of the 2018 Chicago White Sox to improve that player for the future White Sox squads, what would it be and to what player? Well, I think there are two boring answers to this and one maybe sneaky answer. I'll go with the boring ones. Anybody with Mark Burley's command, I think, becomes a whole lot more interesting, whether it's Michael Kopech or Lucas Giolito or Carlos Rodon. You know, that's one of them. Uh, Yohan Moncada with a hit tool, um, you know, with a better one, um, you know, cause there were Robinson Cano comparisons and Robinson Cano with speed is a hall of famer. I mean, Cano is probably a hall of famer or he was before his suspension. Now we'll see if that, uh, muddles that, but you know, <laughs> that kind of, uh, uh, hitting profile with speed and okay. Defense is a player probably on the level of Chris sale. 
And at that point, whatever uh, Michael Kopech and, and Luis Basabe produce is gravy. So, you know, those are, I think, the two pretty straightforward and easy ones. But I would say uh, if you want one that's a little bit maybe off uh, off the radar, I would go with Omar Narvaez with Yasmani Grandal's defense. Uh, you know, give him some framing and some blocking and... Uh, yeah, I think the throwings, you know, Narvaez's throwing is okay. Um, you know, there are better throwers, but it's not the weakest part of the game. It's the <laughs> framing and blocking. It's really uh, plagued him. And I think if he were, you know, say Grandal's equal or even like maybe half of Grandal, like you're, you're, he's not giving away all the gains he made offensively. You know, with, uh, with the bat and with above average work behind the plate, he's like a three-win player which is incredible for a guy who was drafted in the AAA phase of the Rule 5 draft. But unfortunately, with, you know, the way his uh, hands are and, uh, you know, just the struggles he's had blocking, he kind of gives it away and he's just kind of a, an average regular or at least an average backup, you know, maybe plays a bit above that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not Narvaez's fault necessarily. It, you know, it's kind of the player he is. And I think he's done quite a bit to maximize what he can do. But I think... Uh, if he were just uh, you know sounder behind the plate with his defense, I think that would just make him a completely uh, different player and incredibly more useful to the rebuild. Hmm. Good choices. Why the last one though? Why have Yasmani Grandel's skills for Omar Naveas when you can just sign Yasmani Grandel? True, but you know if I'm a wizard, I think I'd rather play with the powers. Ah. Oh, oh. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. <laughs> I gotcha. All right. Uh, as far as mine, mine would be, hmm, this is a good one. So you went with Yohan Mikata. If we were dueling wizards, I would also say apply a hit tool to Tim Anderson. Because hmm. if you can have Tim Anderson have an on-base percentage around like 340, I think that's an all-star caliber shortstop. And you'd go with the hit tool over the batting eye? Yeah, because... I don't know. Oh, that's a good question. I'll have to think more about this. Would a batting eye help him, though? Because a batting eye is not really helping Mikata. Well, yeah, but I think he does enough. Um, yeah, or at least he has so far in his career. He's been up and down. But I think, you know, right now, if his average is in the 250s, whereas Mikata's in the 220s, you know, it's, um, I think if you gave Anderson Mankata's eye, probably gets the OBP to 330-ish. Hmm. Hmm. Clearly, I have to think about this a little bit more if I were a wizard. But I did like Tom Fernelli's. I would give Adam Engel the ability to be Mike Trout. That is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if I did that, then I would die just because I've used up my entire <laughs> life force to make that happen. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> but Beeflow, excellent question. I'd love to hear what everybody else would do if they were a wizard and they could approve one aspect of the current White Sox roster to help out the future squads. The next question we have comes from Pete Chapman. And Pete is asking, who will be the faces of the franchise next year? Who will be the guys we see in commercials and promos for 2019? I felt like Michael Kopech was a lead candidate but will be gone. Anyone else jump out? Right now, I think it's probably shaping up to be Jose Abreu's potential last season. Um, you know, he's a free agent after the year, and, you know, he might come back. I, I think he might be extended. I don't think it's the last hurrah, but I think, you know, if the White Sox wait until the offseason to assess first base, uh, let Abreu assess his future see what they want to do, then I think that kind of becomes the focal point, just kind of a Jose, Abre a Jose Abreu appreciation season. And that's probably front and center of, you know, the preseason stuff. And then you hope that over the course of the season, Eloy Jimenez emerges and then Moncada's uh, second full season goes better than his first. And Tim Anderson also, you know, continues to uh, polish the rough edges of his game and then you get more above average contributors also i would put reynaldo lopez in the camp of somebody who i think can distinguish himself more with uh a strong second full season but i think right now it's probably a brew and maybe 
the way Carlos Rodon came out um, last year with SoxFest and being a lot more personable and open and fan-friendly and, uh, you know, Ashley Rodon kind of taking a starring role in uh, White Sox Twitter, you know, I could see them being very, um, you know, kind of uh, front and center with the fans and with the marketing and hopefully, you know, with Rodon getting a full healthy postseason, he can you know, start uh, pitching towards the upper half of his projections. And I think, uh, you know, that's one case there too. But I think for the time being, given what we know and how they finish the seasons, I think Abreu is probably the one guy to build all your off-season marketing around. And that will do it for this edition of P.O. Socks. Thank you guys so much for submitting your questions to us this week. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle on a future episode of the Socks Machine podcast, you can do so by following us on Twitter at Socks Machine. Post your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine. And again, helping support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast. Go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine to sign up today. Not only will you get an ad free free edition of the podcast but you also get an opportunity to ask additional questions to our guests like our guest this week james vegan of the athletic and also ask additional po socks questions that we record and produce a special episode for our patreon supporters so they get that additional content every single week so if you like what we do and you want more go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today and that will do it for this edition of the socks machine podcast thank you guys so much for listening if you just discovered the show you subscribe in a number of ways one is through itunes another is spotify you can listen to us on google podcasts and audioboom.com slash socks machine the socks machine podcast is a production of socksmachine.com your home for all things chicago white Sox baseball alongside jim margulis i'm josh nelson Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.